Father, we come to you and we ask for your wisdom in these days in which we live, for they are definitely becoming more and more evil. And Father, we pray that you would give us strength to resist in a, a godly fashion, not like in Nashville where there's a RV that blows up and at least takes the life of one individual. Maybe it was the bomber, maybe it wasn't. I don't know, Lord, but as we see evil just growing, we would pray that you would help us to be witnesses of you, for there are going to be many who are distraught. Suicides are up. There are many who are suffering under the uh, sequester of the citizens of the world, and many are without hope. And we ask, Lord, that as we read your word, you would give us hope. You would help us to be defenders of the faith. You would help us to stand against that which is wrong, that which is immoral, that which is evil. And Father, help us to learn from the example of Paul how to resist those who would cause harm, how to resist those who would rise to power for their own benefit and not for the benefit of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there were some in Corinth, as I have previously stated, who said Paul wasn't a true apostle, and he confronts these people who are really false teachers, and some believe that they are Judaizers, and we'll get into some of the reasons for that uh, after a few moments. But he is dealing with those inside the church who are tolerant of those who are the false teachers, who are actually abusing them, they are tolerant. And then he says, unless there are changes, he's going to deal harshly with those who are called, quote unquote, the super apostles who are inside the church. And Paul embarks on this foolish rant, it's a continuation from chapter 10, where he starts speaking as a fool. And he states this in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. But you are already doing that, and that's kind of sarcasm. You're already putting up with the foolishness of these super apostles there. I hope you put up with a little foolishness from me. He goes on in verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So it's the desire of any pastor, apostle, to make sure that people rise to maturity, that they understand what the scriptures say, that they follow the commands of Christ. And once death's door is open to them, they walk through that and they are greeted by Christ himself who says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not that they would rise to one day apostatize and leave the faith, but any pastor would be jealous over those who seek to be built up in the faith, to become disciples. And any pastor, any apostle, uh, any overseer, any shepherd would want to encourage that. And that's what Paul is doing. And he's jealous over the people in Corinth. And Paul admits to speaking like a fool and that he is jealous to keep the church in Corinth and proper standing with Christ, but there is deception inside the church. And as people of God, there is a tendency for us to be deceived. Now, how are we deceived? Somebody comes in and they may have credentials. They may have gone to the best schools, the best seminaries, had the best upbringing, had 
reference materials that they bring with them and say, see, look what I have accomplished and look what I have done. And here's an endorsement by this individual. And they may have uh, three letters behind their name or several three-letter um, degrees behind their name. And so people are attracted to that. And then when they start to speak, they speak on things that are a little bit on the edge, not full-blown we're getting off into heresy or anything like that, but it just seems to be a little bit off. But because we accept them originally and they come into a body of believers, whether this church or another church, we have a tendency just to say, oh, they're just a brother, you know, just a little tweaked, it's okay, and, and we'll just let them exist as they are. And that's what was happening in the church of Corinth. And all of a sudden, they started teaching things that were leading them down the wrong path that was leading them away from Christ. And these things are deceptive doctrines that creep into the church, and they have done so over centuries. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul talks about this when he writes to Timothy. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Now, when the, the church first started, we were over at El Cap, and then we went over to Lemoncrest Elementary School. Then we went over to Blockbuster, and then we ended up over here. And I can remember one message in particular that I gave over at Lemoncrest, and in the message is what I remember, not specifically which book I was in. I think it might have actually been 1 Corinthians, but I was talking about <clears throat> food that we eat. And... The food that we eat, we're to, if it's given, or if we give thanksgiving, we're to receive it with eagerness and gladness that the Lord has provided it for us. And I just happened to talk about this idea of being a vegan, where you only eat vegetables. Because there are certainly people that would say in the church today that we need to be vegetarians. It's not a large contingent. There's a few. There are even more people, I think, on the outside of the church that would say it's a sin to kill an animal and to eat it. I, mean, prefer, I, I prefer a nice juicy steak that just kind of cuts right through easily with the knife. We had prime rib for Christmas, and it was just tasty and wonderful. It was all good, and it was all gone by the end of the meal. <clears throat> but there are some people, I remember this particular message I was given, I said, you know, some people, if they want to have vegetables, that's just fine. Just eat the vegetables. It's okay. With Thanksgiving, it's good. And if you want to have a steak or a hamburger or some ham hocks or whatever you want to have, you just give thanks for that and that's okay. And then I kind of diverted and I said, but you know, these people who are vegans and they're militant, they think that anybody who eats meat is sinful and they need to repent and this one particular woman who was in the church at that time she was back at the back and she nobody else was kind of laughing you know but she was like busting a gut and leaning over and kind of laughing like oh and she's looking at her husband like what's he talking about and i just went on for a few minutes how this ought not to be we ought not to dictate to others what they eat or what they don't eat they're a servant of god and they will give their own account to god when they see him and if they ate with thanksgiving well great that's wonderful but anybody who's out there who's doing that needs to just stop
And at that point, she almost let out an audible laugh. And at the end of service, I found out that she had just railed on her husband about being a person who eats flesh, is what she called it. That he was a carnivore and that he should be a vegan. And she was, and I had no idea who she was, first visit there, and she got convicted about that. I don't know if she's still in that mode or uh, what the case might be. But there are people who would dictate to us what we should do, when we should do it, where we should go, what we should say, how we should spend our money. And by the way, that is a sign of a cult. Control. It is financial control. It is behavioral control. And it is informational control. Any cult will do those things. Like, for instance, down the street here, we have a oneness Pentecostal church that is, I believe, a cult. And they will tell you, or they will tell women specifically what they need to wear, that the sleeves need to be down like my sleeves are here, that the neck needs to be a little high and probably cut off, and the dress needs to be probably down to the ankles and certainly no flesh showing. Uh, And for the men, if you don't have a suit on, well, you're dishonoring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's how some people operate I was once told I have a tie on. Oh, you're honoring the gospel? Uh, No, I just wore a tie. It has nothing to do with honoring the gospel, but that's what a cult will do. They will also come in and and give you what is known as operational control. Uh, In your decisions, there was a movement, the Boston Church of Christ. Uh, It was big back in the late 80s. And the Boston movement would do this thing called shepherding, where they'd bring somebody in that had to be your shepherd. And if you said you wanted to do something, if you wanted to change a job or you wanted to move, you had to ask your shepherd first if that was okay. Or if you wanted to marry somebody, you had to clear it with your shepherd before you married somebody. And that shepherd was appointed to you inside the church. And once you became worthy, maybe you could become a shepherd for somebody else. And it's a shepherding movement. And there were several churches that got into it out here in San Diego and other churches writing letters saying we're disassociating ourselves from this particular ministry because they're following the Boston movement of the Church of Christ. And that's cultish behavior where somebody will use guilt. And I could easily use guilt on everyone here this morning, including myself. Did you spend an hour in prayer this morning? Oh, you didn't do that, huh? Did you read uh, at least a book of the Bible yesterday or last week? Oh, you didn't do that. Oh, have you been tithing regularly? You see, I could easily pack bags for you for a nice guilt trip where you'd walk away. And guilt is very effective with most people in some way or fashion. And in the church where uh, Corinth here, people were arriving and they were using guilt and other methods in order to control the people. And Paul's saying... You're open to deception here. Don't do this. Okay, I'm going to talk like a fool like they talk and they control you. And I'm going to give or establish for you my credentials as an apostle is what Paul is saying here. Because these other people have come in with letters saying who they are and what they've accomplished. And they do it in order to control the individuals inside the church. Now, there are false doctrines that have arisen ever since the church began. And there's been a constant war waged against these false doctrines. Now, some of these over the centuries and even contemporary ones are uh, universalism, that God is going to save everyone eventually anyway, no matter what happens here. Of course, Scripture dictates against that, both in Matthew and Daniel. That is not true. Jesus said, unless you repent of your sins, you also will perish. And so universalism is a false doctrine. Asceticism is another one. The false treatment of the Bible 
excuse me, of the body, not the Bible. And they think the Bible mandates this. Even Martin Luther uh, from the 1600s, he used to take a flagellum and whip his own back to get his body to conform to what he think it needed to be. And he, he was never finding peace in his heart, but he felt the ascetic lifestyle was a way to be more holy, and he was greatly mistaken, and he repented of that. Or antinomianism, where you give in to every single desire of the flesh that you see because it doesn't matter. Once we get to heaven, it's all good anyhow. Then there's Gnosticism, the secret knowledge of salvation, and this is really what salvation is all about. And the Gnostic Gospels, which are out there, like the Gospel of Thomas, which was completely misogynistic, that cursed women, basically, and it was more blessed to be a man. <clears throat> then there's the Docetism, that God would never become flesh. He would never become a human being because all flesh is evil. And even uh, in the, since World War I, this idea of dominion theology or reconstructionism, uh, dominion theology states that biblical Christianity will rule in all areas of society and we need to put Christians in place and follow the laws of the Old Testament. And if we do that, then for a thousand years, reconstructionism, we will have a righteous state on this earth and then after that thousand years, Jesus will come back. That is false doctrine or modalism, that God is one and he appears in three different modes like the Father shows up, then Jesus shows up, and then he manifests as the Spirit. The only problem I have with that is that the baptism of Jesus Christ, the Father said from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then Jesus was getting baptized, and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and lighted upon him. What do you do with that? Is he like being a ventriloquist and throwing his voice into heaven? I was once told that, that that's what he did. He th you don't think Jesus could throw his voice into heaven? No, I don't. That would be deception, right? If somebody's trying to make you think someone else is up in heaven and you're right here, but you're actually throwing the voice, that's deceiving and God is not deceiving. And so these are all false doctrines or uh, the doctrine of total annihilation that God is not going to a command that some people are thrown into hell forever and never lose consciousness. I just read something on a website this morning that that said God is not going to do that, that hell doesn't last forever. And then there's the idea, well, there is not a hell. Uh, I recently, not too recently, maybe a couple of years ago, I sent an email to a local pastor, a new church in the area. I just wanted to find out what they believed and what they held to. And it uh, I came to the conclusion he didn't really know uh, what he believed. A younger pastor, I have a lot, a lot of grace for the guy, but I, I just understood that he really didn't know what he was talking about. On one hand, he said he didn't believe in a little, literal antichrist, and on the other hand, he did believe in a literal antichrist. And then is hell forever? Well, uh, there's some scholars, good scholars, who say that hell is not forever. Well, what does the Bible say? Hell is forever, just like heaven. Heaven is forever. And these are false doctrines that have wormed their way into the church. I can remember watching a television program where a guy was teaching that hell doesn't last forever. And they weren't using scripture. They were just reasoning off the top of their head. But these are all false doctrines. I know that there have been people inside the church who believe in um, reincarnation, that we come back, we get a do-over, over and over and over and over. Or this doctrine of purgatory, that you have to go atone for your own sins, that Christ's atonement wasn't quite enough and it may take you 10,000 years there. These are all false doctrines which have come into the church. And there are contemporary movements 
or have been contemporary movements that promote false doctrine and false teaching. Uh, the one, again, back in the 80s was the Toronto Blessing. Let it bubble up your belly and you speak in tongues and roar like a lion and vomit in the spirit and all kinds of crazy doctrines which are out there. Or even today, Bethel Church, which is up in Redding, California. You go and you do some grave sucking is what they call it, where you lay on the grave and you lay prostrate uh, on the grave and you get to suck up the spirit of the dead saint that was there and you get that same spirit to yourself. Just heresy, which is, that's a modern day thing. You can look it up, grave sucking, or it's called um, mantle uh, transfer, I think is the name of it. But this this idea of grave sucking is just ridiculous. Then there's the new apostolic reformation. Have you heard about that? It is where you can become an apostle. You just pay a little money and you can send it in. You can become an apostle. This is started by C. Peter Wagner. He is now deceased. It's probably best that he's gone on to be with the Lord if he is indeed a a believer. But I remember reading some of his stuff in uh, seminary and where we would deal with um, church growth and all of that. He was part of that. Uh, Peter Drucker as well as... Uh, C. Peter Wagner were proponents of this, and he went way off and said, well, you can become an apostle. You just have to have our blessing in order to become an apostle, apostolic uh, secession, which is there. And the shepherding movement I already talked about. Then there's the word of faith. You just speak it into existence. Uh, there's this movement in the New Age that says if you if you just confess it and believe it, you shall have it. And if you speak something bad into the universe, well, that may come to pass as well. So you don't want to say anything bad because it can come to light upon you. Like, what if I said, one day I'm going to die? Don't speak that. What? Why? I am. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's that kind of ridiculousness that is there. Do you, do you actually think you can speak something into existence? Like if you said, I'm going to speak into existence a Ferrari that will be sitting in my front yard or a Tesla that is fully loaded. Do you think it's just going to come into existence eventually that the universe will line up and do your bidding? That's not how it works. Or uh, the Hebrew Roots Movement. This is a big one out there, Psalm 119 Ministries. You can look them up on YouTube. And they basically say, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) you don't have to follow. It's not COVID, by the way. I just want to let you know I already had that. But you can look it up where they they say you need to follow all the Old Testament practices when it comes to sacrifice. And I know somebody who's in this. I've talked about them before uh, where they actually sacrificed a lamb on uh, the day of Passover. And it's like, what do you think you're doing? Don't you know that Hebrew says if you return to that system, there's no sacrifice left for sin, that we're supposed to forsake that? But they say, no, you, you need to be circumcised. You need to observe the dietary laws. And this one person I talked to, there's no shellfish, no lobster, no clams, no oysters, nothing like that. You, you can't eat any of that stuff. What a mundane life not being able to eat that stuff you know it's all good but you can't eat grasshoppers if you want to so i would encourage him to go ahead and partake and have a lot of grasshoppers in mexico they're called chupolinis nice and crunchy put them on your salad it's all good and and so paul is concerned with false doctrine and false teachers coming into into the church even after he departs 
He talks about this in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. That means from inside the church, they will rise up. And in order to draw away disciples after them, church split right here. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, or each of you, night and day with tears. So he was greatly concerned about people being led astray in Acts chapter 20, and also Timothy, and also here in Second Corinthians. It is something that is real, and, and he is a shepherd over the people. Now, if you remember, like in Psalm 23, a shepherd takes a look at Psalm 23. is a good book to read if you've never read that by Philip Keller. But a shepherd has a shepherd's crook. You know, that's the thing that comes up and has a little hook on it. And some of the pictures of Jesus you see as a lamb and he has a shepherd's crook. But it doesn't show him with the rod. Because you know what that rod is used for if a sheep gets out of line. And they're just being extremely disobedient. He takes that rod and he smacks them with it. Not too hard. He doesn't want to injure the sheep. But they get the idea. But he'd also use it for wolves. Or any type of animal that would show up. Remember King David? What did he kill? A bear and a lion, I think, as a shepherd? And he did that with the sling? Well, a shepherd has a rod, too. It's for defense. That's what it's supposed to be used for. And Paul, in this book, he's taking out this rod. And he's taking it to the super apostles, saying that your judgment is going to be the same as Satan, is what he's telling them. And so he's pulling no punches on this. Now, some of these other cults that have arisen from false doctrine that we are aware of are like the Mormon church. The Mormon church is one that arose out of Christianity where Joseph Smith said, no other church is worthy, no other church follows God. This is the one true church that's going to be established here. And, of course, they believe in a pantheon of gods, that everybody becomes a god. And Jehovah Witnesses, uh, they don't believe that Jesus is God at all. They believe that Michael the Archangel is the one who came down and turned into Jesus. And Unity Church and the Oneness Pentecostals, they don't believe in the Trinity. And the way that we think, we could easily fall into one of these cult views if we didn't know Scripture like what we think about Christ or what we think of what the church should be and how it should operate and what we think about how others should be treated and how we should be treated. Um, These false doctrines and practices, examples for us today in our day and age, what might they be? Well, God wants us to be happy instead of wanting us to be wholly obedient and faithful to his word. Does God really want that? Does God want you to be happy all the time? You know, we have the right, even in our Constitution, to pursue happiness. But what do you tell the martyrs of the Christian faith? Oh, God wants you to be happy. Has it been foreordained that they would suffer and die for Christ's sake? Was it foreordained that Christ would suffer and die? It was. All these things are predestined. Now, how does that work out with free will? I have no idea. But it works out. God predestines us for a life where we live, who we talk to, the relationships we have, what we'll go through in our lives, the experiences that we pack up as we go through life. All of these things are foreordained. And, and yet we think as a church, and this is creeping in the church, God wants me happy. Or how about this one? God wants me personally fulfilled 
rather than in a marriage that is unfulfilling. What would you say about that? But that's being taught in the Christian church. That it's better to be um, away from an unfulfilled marriage and in a fulfilled marriage. I think we all know that if you get married, you're going to have conflict. Except for Patty and I, all you will have conflict. You you know, so that's just part of life. That's just something you're going to experience. That conflict is going to be there. And some people go from the frying pan into the fire or they think the grass is greener on the other side and it's only just a bunch of weeds which are over there. And, And so we want to make sure we're not buying into the philosophy of this day and age. Or how about this? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> a worship service should be more like a concert with a light show, smoke, and lasers in order to attract those who are lost. We could do that. We could set lasers that would be back here and going up and then have the smoke machines on either side and you'd hear them go off. Like that. And then you turn down the lights and we get the effect going on. And, and when worship is going, there's never a moment of silence where you have the organist just playing a, a transitional tune from one song to the other. And we, we create a light show where the lights move up and down and they go back and forth like this. We can do all that because it's more like a concert. It's not really a worship service, but that's where the church is going. Now, have I been to churches like that? Yeah, I have. And if the Lord gets some, well, great. But, you know, the more we start looking like the world, the more we're going to start acting like the world. And in order to keep people feeling good, we need to avoid being too confrontational towards society and say what is wrong. Uh, We're never to mention sinfulness or abortion, or gender identity, or hormone replacement therapy, or LGBTQRSEUVWXYZ issues, which are out there. We're never supposed to talk about those because it offends somebody. We need to curtail our language, and if we say the wrong words, and it could be foolish words, then we could be fired from our job. I recently read a doctor was fired because he said, no, not only fired, he had his medical license taken away because he said that masks did not work. And so they took away his medical license. He's a danger to society. You know, and inside the church, when we start mentioning things like that, well, people get a little upset. And we should be tolerant, uh, at least this is the view, we should be tolerant saying nothing against something like the 1619 Project. Do you know what that is? If you don't know what that is, look that up. Or the Great Reset that I already mentioned where we take everything and we go green and we get rid of the, um, the um, economy as we know it and everybody has to reduce their income and live as paupers. Uh, we also, as a church, it is said, should be more like the culture of our time rather than basing everything we do and believe on biblical morality. After all, biblical morality is just hate speech tells people that what they shouldn't do and that there are consequences for our actions. And we're just the messengers. We're telling everyone what God says and what his requirements are. And <clears throat> should we always submit to the edicts of the governing authorities like COVID-19 that I started out the message with here? I don't know if you know this individual, the late Francis Schaeffer. Uh, he called this the embracing of our culture, the great evangelical disaster. 
And he went on to say further that the evangelical church has accommodated itself to the world. If the church starts looking like the world, we're to be, live in the world but be separate from the world. <clears throat> and this in our day and age is most likely what Paul was referring to back in verse 3. He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray by your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so we want to make sure we're not looking like the world. You know, there are churches now that are trying to accommodate the SJWs, the social justice warriors out there who believe that we need to recompense or repay uh, those in the culture who have been harmed simply because of their race or their social standing or uh, be agreeable and have conversations with BLM and Antifa and the like. And if we're doing that as a church, uh, we have lost our commission, I believe, from the Lord. We are to stand up and say, no, these are wrong, these are Marxists, these will enslave people. This is not good. It will cause nothing harm and grief. And our devotion to Christ <clears throat> can become adulterated by believing false doctrines and following the false teachers. And this is what Paul was zealous against. He didn't want this to happen to the church. So how do we recognize false prophets that might come in? Well, <clears throat> they are of a different spirit, so to speak, uh, when you get to know them. At first, they look just like sheep. You ever heard the wolf in sheep's clothing? You ever hear a wolf go, bah, I, I haven't. It'd be a bad imitation, but once you, they look like a sheep, but they don't sound exactly like a sheep. They're kind of of a different spirit, a different character. Uh, well, also, if we compare someone by their ability to speak and what they say, the words of their mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If money is an issue to them, like putting them under compulsion, putting somebody under compulsion to support them and move out. We recently had a guy <clears throat> this last year come into the church. And he gave me a card and he said, he has a way to get us $40,000 here in the church. And he wanted me to meet with him. I almost said, no, I'm not going to. Okay, I'll meet. I'll see what you have to say. And this guy wanted me to go with him to Washington and fill out all these papers and do this and he had nothing. He had a suitcase that he came to church with, but he's going to get us $40,000. And I, I, really? You know, I don't think so. Thank you very much, but goodbye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <clears throat> Didn't want ha him influencing anybody here whatsoever. And, and so there are people that come in, you just get to know them a little bit. Had all the right words to start with. It, my suspicions were rise. They arose when he had the suitcase, and that was all of his clothes. And he came out to meet me, and he goes, oh, you're not going to give me a ride back to downtown San Diego? I said, no, I'm not going to give you a ride back to downtown San Diego, because he came all the way out here the next day to meet with me. And I said, you know, buddy. And he thought that, well, obviously I'm rejecting him, and I don't know what the real truth is anyhow. <clears throat> and so money can be an issue. Uh, they could end up becoming a burden to the church, working their way through the church where they're seeking help or assistance of some kind from several different people. They are deceitful workmen. They are phonies who have deceived you into thinking they are apostles of Christ. Uh, there are those people in the church today or inside churches today that claim to be apostles 
And there are signs and wonders that follow apostles. I'll give you that scripture in a minute. But unless they've raised somebody from the dead lately or uh, lengthened a limb for sure, for real, uh, not just playing with that, well, maybe they're an apostle and we'll get to talk. And have you seen Christ as well? That's another contingent of being an apostle. You have to have seen Christ and, and his ministry. Also, uh, they trust in outward appearances, how they dress, what they say, how they speak, how they teach, that type of thing. They can be heavy-handed, manipulative. Uh, They seek to exert control. They expect to be served and not serve others. One of my pet peeves is a pastor's parking space. I I remember actually taking uh, care of a church once. That was one of my jobs. And there was the pastor's space in front, right next to the door. Of course, that really comports with uh, the greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant of all. No, you who have a cane, you walk, and I get the first space. And so the Lord says that anybody who would seek to serve must be the servant. You park far away, and you are the one that walks, and you don't take that pastor's sparking, a parking space uh, that's there. Uh, the, the individuals that would come into the church... They start out gently doing this, but they become argumentative. Like if you teach them something, they go, oh, I don't know about that. Instead of asking in an inquisitive manner and respectfully, well, but what about this over here? Or what about that? Could you explain that, please? But they become argumentative. They seek to uh, exert dominance. They can be belittling, domineering. Guilt is used to move them in a direction. And we will see that even if uh, Paul's talking about they were probably slapped in the face by these false teachers. Maybe you're not uh, familiar with this, but remember the Reverend Jim Jones who took took people, this church, down to Guyana, and they all drank the Kool-Aid. They all died down there. I, I can remember in seminary again watching a film about him and his church. And it was actual footage inside the church where he condemned the people in the church, drove them to guilt, and gave them corporal punishment one at a time. They lined up in the aisle, and he had a paddle, and he had his minions paddle the people, and each person would receive a slap on the rear end because they were being sinful, and he was the one that was in control. And it led to their deaths is what happened. So somebody that comes in that wants to exert control like that, we're to resist them. Now, rulers of the world, they like to rule like this. And we're seeing this play out in our day and age. Luke chapter 22, verse 24, talks about them. It says about there being disputes that they arise among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. This was the disciples. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that, lording it over people. I am never, and no minister is ever, to compel people inside the church to do anything whatsoever. They have to be devoted to Christ, and if they're devoted to Christ, the Lord will let them know what they're supposed to be doing, and if a leader in ministry gives a suggestion and they want to do it, well, great. Nobody is under compulsion 
to do anything for the kingdom of God. Jesus never compelled to anybody. He gave them information and he provided for them a choice and that's how everyone who ministers, that is how they are to do so. So the greatest in the servant, or greatest of all is to be the servant of all. And then going on, when I talked about the rod and the staff that the shepherd is supposed to use, now a shepherd would take care of the sheep. And when he would use the staff, as they'd go into the sheepfold, the, the sheepfold would usually be a round stone wall, and there's one door. Jesus said he is the door, the gate, the way. And you would have to go over the shepherd in order to get into the sheep pen. And that was good. Uh, for the sheep, the protection of them, and he would check them for uh, ticks and mites. He'd put the rod and push down on their neck uh, to check them. <clears throat> and if they were okay, then they were allowed to pass. If he needed to pay attention to them, he could pay attention to them. So each one he knew, and he knew by name. When somebody comes in, like the Apostle Paul, and he decides that he is going to install some church discipline or be harsh or very foreboding when it comes to these false apostles there's going to be blowback there is blowback inside the church whenever a pastor speaks somebody is going to say well i don't agree with that well let's have a discussion about it let's go to the word no i don't need to do that because i think that maybe the word isn't for today uh, at least all of it maybe some of it is for today like thomas jefferson thomas jefferson didn't believe in any of the miracles of the Bible, and he made his own Jefferson Bible where he took out all the miracles in there. He didn't agree with what was in there. He was a deist, but he wasn't a, a theist, so to speak. But whenever a pastor speaks, somebody in ministry, whenever they speak, there's going to be blowback at some point with people, even inside the church, that are faithful members. There's going to be some blowback. And that's just part of being a minister that goes with the job territory. And now I want to give you an example of what that looks like being a shepherd over the sheep that gets blowback. Daryl? Shepherd, right there. There's the sheep. Starts walking and boom, gets knocked down. And he kicks off the sheep, says, leave me alone. And the sheep goes to the side, pastor turns his back, and then all of a sudden, boom, right back down again. And he says, stop it already. And boom, again. And it just keeps on happening. Now, that happens in churches. Believe it or not. Now, that's almost as difficult as a church. Not quite. But it can be like that. And Paul is doing this. Paul is talking to the church. And there are those in the church that do what that sheep did to the, to the shepherd, which is there. Who wants to become a shepherd? Who wants to become an assistant shepherd? That happens on a semi-regular basis. And, but Paul, out of his love and devotion and being jealous for them, has nothing but love and adoration. And that's what the sheep do. They keep on doing it. Guess what happens? You make mutton stew. Now let's go on. <clears throat> so, you know... Martin Luther had something to say about this. I got this quote from another pastor, but he, he talked about pastors and ministers not confronting the false doctrine or false teachers inside the church. This is what he had to say. Even if I preach correctly and shepherd the flock with sound doctrine, if I neglect my duty 
if I do not warn the sheep against wolves, what kind of builder would I be if I were to pile up masonry, then stand by while another tears it down? And so you, you work on building up the sheep, but somebody else is being subversive inside the body. If you do nothing with that person, you don't love the sheep as Christ loves them. So this idea, uh, let's go on actually in verse 4. It says, for if someone comes to you and preaches the Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, and if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Again, he's being sarcastic right here. Different Jesus, different spirit, <clears throat> different gospel. Well, you put up with that easy enough. So he, that's a, a kind of introduction to what he wants to say. In other words, they're being tolerant. Have you heard that word? Being tolerant. Those who would preach tolerance, who are of the world, end up being, and I remember this, Donald Thorson told us this in theology class. He says, those who seek and preach tolerance are usually the most intolerant. Uh, the, those of the world, they are the most intolerant of those who are Christians. But they are tolerant of every type of sinful behavior which is out there. And I think it's the Christians who are truly tolerant. The Christians would say, if you're a sinner, come on in, sit down, listen, I'll talk to you. I can remember um, ushering back at Calvary Chapel, San Diego, in the North Park Theater. And there were all kinds of people would come in. And there was about 1,200 people for each service that would come through. And we were standing at the door, and I was young in the Lord at that time, and there were a bunch of young ushers who were there, and there's this guy named Jonas. Jonas used to play for the St. Louis, I think, he, football in St. Louis. He was a big guy. I mean, he was, we all looked up to him. You know, he was so big. And he would give us wisdom on what to say and what to do and how to usher. And, and so I, I really appreciated his ministry to us. And then this one girl came into the church, and she was not dressed very appropriately for the church. I probably could have held her entire wardrobe in one hand uh, with it closed. And one of the brothers who was ushering came up and said, well, shouldn't we get a sister to go talk to her and tell her to put on the proper clothing? And Jonah said, you know, she might not even be saved. And she's coming here, and she's getting the gospel. And so that type of tolerance, you know, you, you tolerate things sometimes because you want people to get the gospel. But to tolerate without discernment is not good. And that's what the church was doing. Even Paul says, you put up with it easily enough. Like if they teach a different Jesus, well, you put up with that easily enough. A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. <clears throat> now, what is a different Jesus? Just open up. You guys remember what a phone book is? They had phone books. I, I remember being down in uh, Tijuana. They had phone books down there, and you could open it up, and you would see all kinds of different Jesuses there. There would be Jesus Gonzalez, uh, Jesus Morales, you, all kinds of different Jesuses. And there are different Jesuses in these cults, which are there as well. Like, for instance, Mormons. I, I talked about them a moment ago. <clears throat> the Mormons believe that... Everyone becomes a God. They're saying, as I've repeated in the past, as God once was, man now is. As God now is, man may become. In other words, we can all become gods. 
There is not just one God represented in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are co-equal members of the Trinity. They believe that, no, Jesus is a created being, uh, and, and they hold to a completely different theology. And then the Jehovah Witnesses, as I previously stated, it's Michael the Archangel, uh, who is actually Jesus in human form. And then he went back to being Michael the Archangel, or a, of a different spirit. There are some who would say that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but the Holy Spirit in Scripture can be grieved. The Holy Spirit in Scripture was listened to because he spoke. He said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have called them to. There are all kinds of personal attributes which are given to the Holy Spirit, which shows us he is a person. He is the one that lives inside of us. He is the one that directs the church. He is the one that was there in creation. And he does not like to uh, draw attention to himself. He always points to Jesus. And Jesus always points to the Father, who is the originator. And, and that's how we have a different spirit coming up in the churches where we say, oh, no, he's only used the force, Luke, you know, something like that. It, he's of a different spirit. And then there's a different gospel. The most common uh, strange gospel which is out there is being saved by works, that you have to do certain things in order to attain, uh, attain enlightenment and be with Jesus Christ. If you do those things, God will accept you for who you are. Now, I'm running out of time here. There's so much more to say <clears throat> about this, and we will do so next week. But I just want you to be aware that there are people who come in with false doctrines. Some of them may not be as harmful as others but we certainly want to know what Scripture says so we don't fall into those errors, that we don't lead others astray where their, their faith gets shipwrecked. We want to make sure that we are feeding the sheep and wolves like fat sheep. What's more tasty, a skinny sheep or a fat sheep? And so the ones that feed well, they are the targets. The ones who are in the pastures there, that's who the wolves look for. And that's who they go for, to adulterate their belief system, to lead them astray, and it's for their own purposes. May God provide for you wisdom and discernment, knowing what is right and wrong and what a false teacher is and what false doctrine is. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how Paul has been so instructive here about these false teachers and, and false doctrines. We, we would ask, Lord, that you would give us the spirit of discernment, and especially in this day and age in which we live, uh, there are so many things that we can be unsure of, but help us to be assured and sure in you. And with your help, we'll do so, Lord. Speak to us and speak to us clearly by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name, and the church said,